0: Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. Um, I'm all by myself today. JR is out of town. Um, but both of us are really excited for the interview that we have coming up today with Dr. Jamie Ayton. Um, Jamie is the executive director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College. Um, and we are just so grateful because he brings to us a, a very timely conversation about what is the church's response, what is the pastor's response, and what happens in churches and in pastors' lives and souls during crisis. And so with the way the pandemic has continued to ebb and flow. Um, we feel like there is so much to learn from Dr. Aiton, and we're just grateful for the opportunity we have to, to sit with him, to learn from him. And our prayer is that it actually brings a bit of healing to us as pastors and leaders, but also that it encourages us to continue to keep going. So we hope that you enjoy this interview with Dr. Aiton.
1: Dr. Jamie Aiton, is a disaster psychologist and disaster ministry expert. He also serves as the Blanchard Chair of Humanitarian Disaster Leadership, Executive Director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute, and Associate Professor of Humanitarian Disaster Leadership at Wheaton College in Chicago, where he's been on the faculty since 2010. In 2016, Jamie received the FEMA Community Preparedness Champion Award at the White House. But Jamie doesn't just study disasters, he also survived disasters. Jamie got his start helping others amidst disasters after moving to South Mississippi just six days before Hurricane Katrina struck his community. Eight years later, he was diagnosed with late stage cancer. Now in remission, Jamie shares his disaster research and cancer story with scientific and spiritual insights in his book, A Walking Disaster, which helps others cultivate faith and resilience his writing has also appeared in outlets that include the washington post christianity today and psychology today jamie is also regularly cited on and interviewed by news outlets like cbs news fox news yahoo news moody radio and religion news service enjoy this conversation with dr jamie Aiden. Uh, Well, our our guest today
0: is uh, Dr. Jamie Ayton. Jamie, it's really good to have you on with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so um, I first came across your work back in March at the beginning of the pandemic, and I found your work through the Institute um, to be super, super helpful, just as I've been thinking through, along with many other pastors and leaders, what is happening and what are we supposed to do? Um, But specifically, when you were a kid and your teacher said, what do you want to do when you grow up? Um, Did you say to yourself, I think I want to be the director of a Disaster Relief Institute?
2: No, that was nowhere on my radar. So I, I think when I was a kid, I was mainly thinking about baseball and candy and baseball cards. <laughs> um, and then what chores do I have to do on the farm uh, when I get home from school? So this whole disaster thing was never in my plans. So
0: so how did you come about this whole, you know, just your, your passion and your research and everything that you've been doing uh, around your work?
2: Well, for me, it started when my family and I had moved to South Mississippi just six days before Hurricane Katrina hit. So I had just finished up my doctorate in psychology. And so, in some ways, I'm a bit of an oddball in the fact that I'm a psychologist, typically the only one in the room of disaster and humanitarians. But the way that it happened for me was I had planned to study rural mental health disparities, working with the church uh, in the deep South. And then from there, when Katrina hit, like a week later from moving in, just saw the really important role that local churches and pastors play and Christians overall in response to disasters, but also recognize there wasn't necessarily a place that churches could turn for vetted and trusted information that was both biblically-based and scientific-based.
0: Mm, wow. And so... just to hit the pause button, but uh, some people might be thinking, oh my gosh, she moved down to Mississippi right before Katrina hit. And so even in that, like, what was it like for you moving your family to a brand new space and then experiencing a a disaster like, like that?
2: Yeah, it was really life changing for me. You know, it not only changed, I think the course of my vocation and calling, but, you know, shaped me, I think as a person as well. And One of the things that I'll never forget is we didn't even realize Katrina was coming toward us uh, until we had attended a church just down the road from where we lived. Because when I left work on Friday, the storm was supposed to hit on kind of the other side of Louisiana and then shifted over the weekend. And we had just moved from Chicagoland. So my cell phone didn't have a signal, which, by the way, after this interview, glad to tell you who that carrier was. Um, (laughs) So we had no signal. So like our families were trying to call us all weekend, couldn't get a hold of us. And then we didn't know anybody in the neighborhood that we just moved into. My colleagues didn't even have my cell phone number because we'd only been there a week. And it wasn't until church that Sunday when the pastor gets up and starts talking about Camille and Katrina that we realized what we were maybe in for. And I remember going home and hearing all these public service announcements kind of in my head that came out after 9-11 about what you need to do in order of a disaster and I was searching through the house trying to find uh, the things I remembered from those commercials that you may have heard. And then I finally found that the holy grail of preparedness, it was, it was duct tape. And I remember standing there of, okay, I have duct tape. There's uh, this huge hurricane coming toward our home. What am I doing with this? And then later I realized, oh, that was for bioterrorism, that you would have <laughs> duct tape and plastic for your windows. So, uh, but I remember just feeling really helpless and not knowing what to do. And I think that really set the stage for why I continue to do this work because I know what it's like to feel helpless and still do at times. And, but I also know that from going through that experience that I'm also hopeful and have a hope in Christ and God that can bring us through these difficult times.
0: Yeah, so Jamie, I, I first of all, I it must be really unique to show up to some of these meetings and be a psychologist who's thinking through this from that perspective. And, you know, thinking about preparedness and all this stuff, like, of course, we've been through what seems to be the most unrelenting storm um, and the crisis that we've experienced in the last several months. Um, what would you say is something that pastors should know or that they need to know about crisis and how to lead through them?
2: That's a a great question. You know, I think one of the ways that pastors can really lead effectively is to model as authentically as they're able. And, you know, I think that others are watching. I just wrote a piece for Facts and Trends that I talked about that I think one of the challenges that many pastors are experiencing right now, I've kind of called it as a virtual fishbowl right? So I've, I've done studies and worked with clergy a lot over the years. And in fact, I'm a former youth minister and campus minister before I became a psychologist. So, um, it was actually through that work that first got me interested in psychology and the fact of figuring out that I don't have the personality for a youth minister. So, so that kind of, um, you know, that helped speed up the process of a career change, but, um, with that being said. But but
0: you did have duct tape. So, I mean, you're pretty much ready to be a youth pastor. (laughs)
2: That's (laughs) right. Duct tape is amazing, isn't it? (laughs) So, um, but, but with it, I I think, you know, a lot of pastors are feeling that pressure that, you know, you're on all the time now Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're on online and people are reaching out more than ever. And I just think it's really important to be able to set some, what you see as healthy rhythms for yourself, you know, not Not this idea of, you know, fully balanced, let's blow bubbles and get the crayons out and play with, you know, cartoons, uh, coloring books and stuff to deal with stress, but rather to think about how can I have these really healthy rhythms of self-care, you know, thinking of it more of like a surfing event that knowing when to ride the crest and it's okay for things to be busy, but also knowing yourself well enough to know when you need to come down for a while go to some more shallow waters maybe even get out of the water altogether.
0: Hmm. I think that's so helpful because my my sense is a lot of people were probably leaning in like okay what are the 10 tips you're going to give us on how to lead well and I love how you're bringing it back to care for your soul You know, spend time paying attention. And, you know, for those of you that are Crown users, it's okay. Uh, But I really I really appreciate that, Jamie. I think there's something to be said about healthy pastors have the ability to lead resiliently through this time period. And my my sense is, too, it's really difficult for pastors in this season to maybe even feel the permission to be able to lead vulnerably. Um, And so uh, even just thinking about how, you know, how pastors are working through that, that. would you have any thoughts on, you know, like, what does it look like to be vulnerable and healthy? Cause I, we've kind of seen, there's that continuum, right? Where it's like, there's mm-hmm. the health, there's vulnerability that can feel a lot like manipulation. And then there's vulnerability yep. that looks really healthy.
2: Yeah. You know, and I think it's, you know, as a psychologist, that's something that we also struggle with. You know, mm-hmm. I know that was something I felt that tension with as a pastor and then have felt it now as a psychologist. And the way I often think about where, how do you figure out where that thin line is or that gray area is, which is the sweet spot, is am I sharing to help myself or to help the people that I'm trying to support? Say that again. That was really good. Am I saying this to help myself or am I saying this to be able to help the person I'm trying to support? And and so I'll I'll give you an example. There was um, years ago, I had a client who um during one of our sessions brought up that she noticed one of these autographs uh pictures i had on the wall which was one of my favorite baseball players uh growing up as a kid and she's like oh my gosh i grew up as neighbors with this baseball player we grew up as kids and all i could think about for a little while was like oh my gosh is he was he as awesome as i thought he you know is um could you get me an autograph do you still know him Could we do you think he and I would hit it off and we could hang out and be besties, you know, Um, but realized all of those questions and all the things I wanted to go off, you know, talking about my favorite baseball player and my favorite team that that wasn't going to help the client. That was all me. Now, you know, that's kind of a silly example, but I think that's something that I've used as kind of a rule of thumb are the things I'm asking or the things that I'm sharing really going to be beneficial to the other person or am I turning them into kind of like my mini therapist? Mm -hmm. And and if that's the case, that's probably not healthy. You know, I think that's better for your close relationships, maybe actually a therapist or, you know, having somebody that you're in maybe accountability partner with, being able to share more openly. But also I think it's okay even publicly, you know, we just did a webinar uh, last, I guess it would be just a couple weeks ago on grief and looking at mental and spiritual health and you know I, I had no problems letting people know that i don't have my act fully together and that you know i feel the weight of COVID 19. but now I, I didn't go into all the ways that that's playing out and i you know didn't air all my dirty laundry but just by saying something that simplistic all of a sudden the chat of you know we had a couple thousand people that were attending and our chat just blew up of people saying Thank you for letting us know that it doesn't, we don't all have to have it together because the people that we see on these webinars and all the information out there, they always seem like everything's together. But all the panelists shared openly that they had struggles too. And I think that was a relief just for people to know that.
0: Mm, I think that's so helpful because it brings us to the place of our leaders or humans and even the people who are who are uh, leading work on the leading edge of disaster relief are saying, yeah, this is hard for us too. Mm-hmm. That's, that's super hopeful. I feel like that's hopeful. Like even for me, that's just hopeful to realize as a local pastor to look at my congregation and say, this is hard and yeah. it's, been, it's been difficult for me too. Um, but part of the work that you do is y- you all have created some fantastic resources. Um, and several we've used at our church. Several we've rec- I've, I've ref- recommended several to quite a few other pastors, um, including preparing your church for the coronavirus and reopening the church. Um, what sort of things are you involved in now? And and even what are some other resources that you'd love to talk about?
2: Sure. Yeah. So we, we've developed a, a number of new resources, and in fact, we just released a report that you can find at Wheaton.edu/hdi. And in that report, it lists most of the resources kind of all in one place. So if you're trying to get a sense of what all we've worked on that might be helpful, that'd be a good place to go. You also mentioned the reopening resources. So we've been really fortunate and grateful to collaborate with the National Association of Evangelicals on reopeningthechurch.com. And so there we have a number of new resources that we continue to, to create and share to help pastors and churches navigate these unprecedented times. And then where we're really focusing right now over the next probably month or so is on spiritual and mental health that we recognize the wear and tear that COVID-19 has been having on people. And so we actually just released a brand new free 195 page COVID-19 mental health. So if you're looking for a little light bedtime reading, (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, so we realize there's a lot there, but it, as a handbook, you know, I, I don't expect anybody other than my mom to pretend that maybe she read it. Um, so that's okay. But the way that what the way we hope people will actually use it isn't necessarily that we expect them to read all 195 pages, but rather that it's set up topically. So it, it's kind of divided up in kind of 11 key areas, looking at resilience, looking at kids, looking at healthcare worker needs, looking at underserved populations. So we we hope that it's a useful kind of resource to be able to flip through and get caught up and understand what research says about how to help. And then we also um, created a website called spiritualfirstaidhub.com. And there you'll find um, additional manuals, including uh, one that we're really excited about, which is our Spiritual First Aid Manual that is based on the last 15 years of our team's research that really applies that to how do we incorporate our faith into helping people during COVID-19. And we want to try to take the guesswork out of this being, you know, you don't have to have a doctorate in psychology to do this, but, you know, the church is full of people that have natural helping skills. So we really tried to boil it down to what we refer to as the BLESS method of kind of these five easy steps to be able to help people and meet them where they're at. You'll also find a number of free online courses on spiritual care on that website, and even um, a booklet or a kids' book that we developed as well that talks about spiritual and emotional challenges for kids.
0: Wow, well, incredible resources. Uh, and we'll go ahead and make sure that they're in our show notes. So, for those of you that are thinking, I, I don't want to hit pause in this interview, um, they're there. So, don't worry about that. Um, so, in, in the midst of that, you know, you bring up some really interesting points thinking about, you know, what can somebody do in a crisis? And, and I, yeah, I want to kind of turn this question really towards pastors. Like if, 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 if you could have every single pastor, you know, their ear for the next five minutes, what's something they should start doing today? And what's something that they would stop, that they should stop mm. doing in order to be more effective in, in the crisis?
2: So I think the thing I would want all pastors to kind of know and to really focus on, would be to really embrace the, what comes from providing practical presence to people in your congregation, in your community. That one of the things I remember after Hurricane Katrina, there was this one pastor I went to interview. I was trying to understand really how churches were responding to mental health needs in the aftermath of Katrina. And I show up to this church in South Mississippi, and there's a line out the door of people waiting um, just waiting to get in to talk to the pastor. And so finally I get called in to come in and talk and I sit down for a moment. And as we're talking, his, his phone rings. So he picks up a cell phone and he's talking on it. And then he tells me it's okay to stay. And then all of a sudden his office phone rings. So he tells the person, hold on, picks up his office phone, tells me it's okay. Just a minute. talking to them. And then a third phone rings. He pulls out another cell phone. And then this time He looks up and he's like, sorry, son, you got to step out. And he hangs up on the other calls. And then I step out. He has me come back in. He's like, sorry, that was my wife. And he said that our phone line has been ringing off the hook so much since Katrina. We had to go out and get a separate cell phone that only my family and my closest ministry partners have access to. Nobody else has it because they just can't get through to me otherwise. And so he was like, stay as long as you want. Um, he's like, as soon as you get up, somebody else is going to be coming in. Now, right now with COVID, chances are that a lot of people aren't coming into your offices physically, but they are reaching out to you virtually. And so one of the things that that pastor went on to share was how he would have people that he would talk to and wonder to himself, is that person going to be okay when they get off you know, the call or when they step out of my office? Are they going to be okay? And I remember going back to him and a lot of the other pastors that I had interviewed early on about a year out and almost all of them talked about what we came to refer to as practical presence, or maybe you've heard it talked about as like the ministry of presence Mm. that are just being there in the moment with someone and giving witness to their pain. Even if we don't have all the solutions in of itself is a really powerful way of helping. So I think when it comes down to it of, just trusting that God is in the room with us and that when we said, even if we don't have all the answers, we are still helping. That provides a huge gift to those that are hurting.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then in terms of what not to do, I think it kind of goes back to that story of the pastor that I was just sharing of recognizing that you can't do everything and to know some of those limitations. So maybe that means that you need to see, are there other people in your church You know, forming a team around you to help you carry out your work? that many pastors that, you know, I've studied with and worked with over the years, including now in COVID, have talked about, well, I I went to Bible college or I went to seminary and I learned these things. And now I feel like I've not, I barely do those. And now I feel like I'm almost like an emergency manager of sorts or, or a public health official suddenly. So don't feel like you have to do it all yourself. You know, bring a trusted team around you and, and and have others and don't be afraid to delegate that, you know, this doesn't all have to fall just on your shoulders.
0: Jamie, that's so, I feel like that really speaks to the pastors right now who are feeling overloaded, in this season of just feeling like they're just trying to survive. We might only have one phone, but we might have two or three email accounts that are blowing up or, um, yeah, just all the different things. And so, you know, when we think about the response of the church during times of crisis, why is this time in history so important for the church to be involved in helping with disasters?
2: You know, one of the things that I've often seen is that, disasters like covid-19 really bring injustices that have existed in our communities to the surface. You know, mm. many of them are not new. You know, if I just think about, you know, real quickly that we're seeing issues of, you know, racial injustice, we're seeing older adults struggle more, you know, we're seeing economic struggles that people are having. All these different issues, you know, they're, they're not new. Hmm. They've been there, but covid-19 and other times of crisis really put a spotlight on those injustices. And so you know, I think it's a really unique opportunity because as we look throughout scripture that we see wherever there is an injustice, that God calls the church to respond. And in the midst of COVID-19, there's definitely injustice there. Mm. And so I think it's an opportunity for us to really be able to provide hope. And what this world that's hurting needs right now is they need the church to be the church. You know, you don't have to be um, a disaster expert to do this work. but to think about what is it your church has been called to do and does well and maybe is gifted in and start there and think more about how can we pivot into these times and really then not only just us pivot, you know, so maybe you have a strong ministry of working with kids. Well, rather than just jumping straight forward, trying to do everything with COVID, what's the one thing that your church does well with kids that could be pivoted just a bit to now help address a need Um, and then as you think about that, about, well, who else is in my community that if we all work together, that we could really respond as the full body of Christ to those that live in our, our, our areas. So the more that we can pivot, you know, be the church and work together, I think the bigger impact that we can have.
0: And I really appreciate the, the hopeful tone of that answer. And even just the hopeful tone of the conversation, Jamie, I feel like if i was working in disaster relief for as many years as you have i'd probably struggle to stay hopeful <laughs> which which brings up just you know how do you keep from being overwhelmed personally and how do you find yourself not losing hope
2: yeah you know i think for me hope in of itself that that holding on to christ during these difficult times is just so essential you know i so in addition to doing this disaster work I'm also a stage four colon cancer survivor. So mm-hmm. at the age of 35 had been diagnosed and just incredibly grateful um, to still be uh, cancer-free now, six years later. And so going through those times, you know, really taught me to rely on God during these difficulties. And another part of that kind of came out of that for me, it was also just recognizing that, in you know, that kind of rhythms that I talked about being so important. And so just some practical things that I do is, you know, I try to check in, you know, with my team on a regular basis. And I try to be open with them. You know, I think that um, when we look throughout scripture that we just see too how important humility is during these difficult times and that it helps us to know what both our strengths are and our weaknesses, right? You know, growing up in some of the churches that I grew up in, sometimes humility was the, you know, you're singing a solo and people clapping. You're like, oh no. But at the same time, you're like, you know, (laughs) quietly trying to usher in more applause, right? So I'm I'm not talking about like the false humility, but if, if we look at a scriptural view of humility, about what are those strengths and trying to lean into those, but then also recognizing weaknesses. And so the more that I've been able to do that with my team and just tell them, like, hey, if I'm the one that has to run that, I'm likely to lose our entire institute and misplace it. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's not in my skill set. Can somebody else step in? Or I had a couple weeks ago where I was really feeling you know, way down. And I just had to call my team in midweek. And it was just like, okay, it's two o'clock in the afternoon, cancel all my meetings. I'm going to go take a nap. Um, And then I'm going to go for a walk. And then I'm going to spend some time with my family and just let them know I'm off limits the rest of the day, you know, and hopefully I'll be back tomorrow, but I'll touch base and let you know. Um, You know, so I think it's recognizing, kind of going back to that of when I need to get off the board is important. And I also try to actually watch uh, one comedy, you know, 30, 20, 30 minute sitcom every single day. Um, (sighs) So humor actually is a huge thing for me. Um, And so it helps me just take a few minutes and just laugh. And then I think that floods over into our team's work as well that, you know, we talk about how we work really hard together, but we also laugh together. And that's been a, a source of encouragement.
0: Well, I, I, lo- I love that permission you just gave to sit back and watch a 30-minute... Con- I, I I mean, I know this is kind of a dive in a different direction, but are, are there specific comedies that for you are like, this is on my cue right now?
2: Well, I I got to be careful because then you might be... Uh- not want to follow anything with other. <laughs> so, so one of my favorites is is Parks and Rec. Oh, um, man. You know, so so that's that's one of my go tos. Um, so I got through graduate school on Seinfeld, and Parks and Rec is what's been getting me through COVID. But and some of that reminds me just you know because I grew up in a small rural town and. Uh, so there's a lot of things that that, that reminds me of and, and it feels familiar. So, mm.
0: But you're right. Humor plays such an important role, like even even just in terms of being reminded that we can still laugh in the midst of all the crazy stuff that's happening. And that, that, that really does help. It really brings about some just some beautiful re- release. I think there's something that happens in laughter that is just so powerful. Um, you know, in the midst of all this, right, like you're doing this significant, significant work, you're leading a team, you're thinking through disaster relief. You're thinking through, you know, you just recently wrote a book, which I can't wait to talk about. Um, But in the midst of all that, you know, you're a a cancer survivor. What lies are you tempted to believe personally? Um, And especially in this pandemic?
2: That I can do everything. Hmm. Um, And that everything is essential. Hmm. That it, like I, even just this past weekend, um, on Saturday morning, I, I woke up and I was thinking about the next couple of weeks ahead and everything that's kind of going on and deadlines and things that I kind of, you know, are wanting our Institute to be working on over the next few weeks. And I felt this nudge of like, okay, I need to just scrap Saturday and this needs to be a work day. And instead was able to, you know, just sit down with my wife and talk through it a little bit and share that I'm feeling stressed and to work out a plan of I'm gonna take the weekend and just focus on family time, but created a plan where I can make up some extra space throughout the next couple of weeks to still get that work done. You know, so for me it's sometimes feeling like everything has to be done right now and everything feels like it's an emergency, but recognizing that when I'm able to kind of pause, talk through it with somebody close to myself, that often not everything's as important as I actually think it is. And some things can wait and some things are just going to have to wait and that's okay.
0: Mm. That's, yeah, thank you for that. I feel like even in that, what great permission just to allow people to remember that it it's not as urgent as you think it may be. Um, and which I think is so hard to find, it's so hard to get to that point where we are, but we talked just briefly. So you just finished a book. that released back on March 3rd. Uh, did it start the pandemic or not? I'm not sure. Uh, walking disaster, what surviving, what surviving Katrina and cancer taught me about faith and resilience. Um, yeah. Talk to us a bit about like what, I mean, obviously we've heard a little bit about, um, your story, but, but you know, how, how do you see the personal and the the more communal or the global um, crisis, really working together or or speaking to one another. What what's similar? What's different?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think there's definitely a lot of similarities and differences because I, I know when I was going through that experience that there were times that I would be able to think back to some of the research that we had done or some of the disaster settings that we had worked out and realizing that it was playing out right in front of me now, but on a more personal level and as I reflected on that time, realizing that there are a lot of things that are are similar that, you know, we often all feel struggling in terms of our emotional and our spiritual health, that these types of catastrophes often cause us to ask a lot of why questions that are really common to most people, that there can be this sense of, of disconnect sometimes from God during these difficult times that is common for people to experience. And then at the more hopeful side of it, that, even when we go through these tragedies, whether it's on an individual level or a mass scale, like a natural disaster or COVID 19, that community is just so powerful and that it reminds us that we don't have to go through these struggles alone and that there's healing that comes from being in community and that there's hope from being in Christian community. And one of the biggest takeaways for me out of that experience was this notion that, you know, I've studied resilience for 15 years. And kind of a lay definition of resilience is this idea that it's our bouncing back or, you know, just adapting to, to adversity. And that, that's an important way of thinking about how to get through these challenging times like COVID. But the problem is in our culture, we've kind of held resilience up to a point where we've not created a lot of space for other ways to understand traumas and difficult situations where we think it's all about getting on the other side of it. And I struggled because I had some people that had told me I was resilient in that time. And it's like, I know the definition. I'm not bouncing back. Like, you know, it took me a good nine months, you know, even after I finished treatments to finally start doing better um, and starting to just get back to myself a little bit. And so it wasn't a bouncing back. So I remember asking myself like, what, what is this that I'm noticing? And cause I also worked with a lot of others during that time and, and walked with a lot of others that, where I saw that the bouncing doesn't always happen quickly, and sometimes it doesn't happen at all. But there was something there. And so over the next year, I spent time talking with theologians and philosophers all over the globe, and doing research and recognizing what I was looking at, but couldn't articulate at the time was the idea of spiritual fortitude. You know, we can look throughout scripture, we look to church history, of seeing this notion of, you know, still doing good in the face of adversity, and, you know, being reminded that you know, it doesn't say about finishing the race first. It's about finishing the race, right? It's about endurance. It's, it's about using the resources that we have uh, to be able to make purpose and meaning of these difficult times. And so we actually uh, published in a, one of the top psychology journals in the field, a new measure of spiritual fortitude that looks at this kind of um, helps us in some ways you could say metabolize suffering. That it helps us to find purpose and, and actually to be able to live even in midst of the suffering, not that we have to get on the other side of it to get back to life. And as we face COVID-19, I think that's one of the biggest messages that we're trying to share is that we can still have life even in the midst of suffering.
1: Mm.
0: Well, and I think part of what what I hear you saying in that is even this like this redefinition of resilience takes into effect not just the what it looks like on the other side but what it looks like during yeah. what it looks like in, and so even just thinking about pastors right now who feel like uh like I mean even myself, there are moments in the last four or five months where I honestly feel like I don't even know where I am right now, like I don't know what day it is I mean I know what day it is, but i don't I can't identify what's happening inside, you know, like, what's all the, what's all this conversation that's happening in my own soul. So like, what would you have to say to pastors who are just struggling to understand, like, what is, where do we begin a healthy theology of suffering or a healthy theology of spiritual fortitude?
2: Yeah. You know, I I think when we're talking about a healthy theology of suffering or fortitude that, you know, looking back to the life of Christ, you know, I, I just think about how, when Christ was asked, you know, about what did this man do? In his life that he's blind, you know, and and Christ offers a rebuke that, you know, he didn't do anything wrong to cause this and that, you know, that he then also not only restored the person's vision, but that he also ended up caring for that person's spiritual needs. And so I think during this time, it's important that we recognize that resilience or spiritual fortitude or a theology of suffering that really needs to be holistic, that it's looking at both our, our spiritual well-being, but also our physical and our emotional, because all those things are interconnected. You know, I talked about that BLESS model in Spiritual First Aid. Well, what we found through research over the years is that all of those needs impact the other. Right. That you know, if if you are physically feeling you know beat down, well, you're probably going to have troubles. You know, when you're preaching, or you're probably going to have trouble in your quiet time focusing because you're so worn out, and because you're having troubles, you know, spending time in God or in God's Word, then you're probably feeling more stress, which is making more anxious, which impacts your mental health, which we know is connected to your physical well-being, right? Mm -hmm. So there's these things are all interconnected. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in terms of spiritual fortitude, you know, I, I think it can be helpful. To look both in scripture as well as just people in our own life, of who have we seen that has suffered well and how did they get through it? And I think when you really dig into it, you see that they didn't get through it on their own, that they were relying on their hope in Christ and that they were relying on their communities. That it, there were will be times when we can't keep going in the race on our own, but if we're in community, that there'll be others to help push us through, um, even when we feel like it's time to give up.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. The role of community has such an important uh, space in the healing of our own souls and in the souls of others. Um, and final question, just as, as we're wrapping things up, um, you know, you have a bunch of pastors who are listening right now. What is just an encouragement that you'd like to give them?
2: You know, I'm going to bring this thing full circle and go back to duct tape. Mm. Um, And we'll we'll end it with a duct tape statement, I guess, that I think so there was a colleague of mine that uh, worked for the Salvation of Army for a number of years and worked after 9-11 on the ground and has worked in a lot of hard places. And I remember hearing him once say that uh, we're all a lot more like we are wearing duct tape than uh, Teflon Mm -hmm. and that those who are in ministry that every time we're in these difficult situations, when we're in the midst of a disaster or talking to somebody in crisis, that it's more likely to stick to us than to know that it's okay if you feel weighted down. It's okay if you're tired, but to recognize that and to make sure that you're taking care of yourself as well, because your, your church, your, your communities, they need you now, but they're going to need you even more down the road. And so that the more that you can approach this as a marathon, over it, viewing it as a sprint, the better off that you and those that you care for are going to be in the long run. Mm.
0: Well, Jamie, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for the encouragement to pastors. And yeah, thank you for sharing your story with us. Uh, We really appreciate you and the work that you're doing.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed connecting.